Greetings from the editing desk. Just want to quickly mention that we had some issues recording this episode, or like my audio recording would stop all of the sudden every now and then. And I basically had to revert to a backup audio file, which has some digital glitches and things like that going on, uh, a bit more noisy as well. So please forgive us for not having, having the absolutely pristine audio used to. Uh, luckily we had backups and you get the full episode, but we'll be back full audio quality wise uh, next week. So yeah, now to the episode. here welcome to cat big friday's episode number 52 the show that brings you the latest and greatest in guitar and music industry news happenings things like that and once again i'm joined by a man who's a transparent overdrive ambassador self-titled digital newbie and a man whose channel is very very close to passing 2k subscribers uh rich i heard rumors that as soon as you pass 2k subscribers you are going to give away half for your guitars to your viewers are these rumors true unlikely vlad unlikely <laughs> oh no i hadn't thought about that maybe i should i have too many guitars probably how many is too many guitars it's a question we asked once upon a time on our show. Yeah, and there is actually no answer to that. So no, I don't have too many guitars. However, I am planning on selling a few this year to fund other guitars. So <laughs> the cycle <laughs> continues. Is it a swap like two for one type of thing or is it just like one guitar goes out, one comes in? I kind of feel like one out, one in is fair, but I'm told by other members of the family that it should be four out and one in, which I think is a ridiculous kind of, you know, factor. Four out, one in, stupid, but there we go. What I might do is get rid of three or four and pull them into one amazing instrument. Ooh, but let's I like see. that idea. I don't know what I want yet. Well, I like that a lot. Yeah, something that I've kind of been doing as well, especially like uh, in the near future and end up moving this studio space to a different room. Um, I want, might want to cut on some of the instruments, but we shall see. Those are just plans as of now. And also, I want to thank you for liking, sharing, subscribing. And last episode did really, really well. So thank you, everyone, and welcome to the new Cat Pick Fridays listeners and watchers as well. We are obviously available here on YouTube with the video, and then there's the audio podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and pretty much everywhere where you get your podcast, we're there. And no matter whether you're watching on YouTube or listening on the podcast platforms, please consider giving us a like, leaving a review, things like that. That would help a lot to grow this thing and push as, as us forward. Probably need my second morning coffee. Yeah. Pack show today as well. As always, uh, there's some Fender Factory news we missed last week. So Fender is Ensenada Factory catched fire. And this happened last week, but there's still no kind of more in, new info on that. We're going to talk about that. 
Fendes, Fendes, uh, can we say Andertons? Is it an Andertons exclusive? Not sure, but like this 80s hair metal Ferrari yellow player strat with HSS configuration. Uh, we can hear the 40th anniversary squares now, thanks to a cool video Fender has posted. And we're going to toot our own hole a little bit with the Boss RE2 release in a bit. And also New X released something that looks very much like the RE2 by Boss. Just double the foot switches. Uh, Origin Effects has few cool new bass preamps that look great, sound great. DC Electronics has a looper. There's a positive grid Spark Mini that has been released just very, very recently. We're going to talk about six iconic Stratocasters throughout rock history. Then we got to mention the sad news of Mark Lanigan passing. And then we are going to answer your questions and comments and also talk about guitar maintenance thanks to Red Shaw's video. But without further ado, oh, what, however I pronounce it, I think I got it mostly right. Yeah, news, also known as recent happenings here in Catbig Friday's land. <laughs> Fender Ensenada factory catches fire, according to GearNews.com. And yeah, it's basically the Fender Mexican factory. Uh, there was a fire on 16th of February. As I mentioned, we missed this last week. And claim damage has been sustained to the building. Thankful, thankfully, no one has been hurt and the flames were extinguished by local firefighters. And... It's been a week since this happened and we haven't really heard any news on whether like production or anything was really affected. And yeah, that, it basically it's a place where they make made in Mexico fenders. And yeah, Gear News at the time says that it's too early to say whether or not the equipment materials have been damaged. And Fender has made no official statement as of yet. And I don't think we've been able to find any official statements since. No, I haven't or seen any least, mention of this. Yeah. Then we tried to search for more and silence. So very hard to tell whether this is like big news or not. Maybe it was like a local fire in one place. But I, I, I think I read somewhere... Someplace else where that it was like a fairly big fire that they were just able to extinguish pretty quickly. But well, fingers yeah. crossed, it was as small as possible. Yeah. At least no one was hurt, and yeah, let's all hope that as little was damaged or destroyed in way of the factory, the instruments, the equipment inside, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yep. Because I mean, this this sucks, obviously. It was last year that Booty Camp Distribution in Los Angeles had a fire, and that really affected them. Again, no one hurt, but Still. lots of amazing gear, and it's caused backlogs and stuff like that. Compounded by the COVID pandemic, of course. Mm. And so they've done very well to kind of manage their way out of it, in a sense. But obviously stuff like this, it's terrible when it happens. And 
hopefully the yep. fact that we haven't heard anything else about this suggests that it was minor. But yeah, yeah, we'll wait and see. I mean, in terms of Mexican fenders and the availability of Fender guitars, we've even talked about it previously to this news happening. You know, the the CEO of Fender, Andy Mooney, was saying that this year there would be backlogs of Fender guitars anyway. So mm-hmm. will we notice any difference compared to what we were expecting? I, I don't know. Hard to tell. But yeah. yeah. These kind of things are just very sad because it also like affects people's jobs as well. Exactly. And I guess it depends. Yep. It depends on the country. Like, uh, I guess in Finland, if a factory there's a factory burn, people are not being are not able to access a workplace or work there. They get some compensation, but that varies from country to country. So, it does. Yeah, I, I don't know about Mexican rules, but hopefully they're looking after the people who currently can't, you know, go in and do their jobs. Yeah, I'd like to think Fender has the means, and I really hope they take care of their workers. So, yeah, you would hope so. I mean, Fender has a pretty decent rep as far as some companies go. And yeah, Mm. let's see. Maybe we'll hear more in future. Maybe they'll do some kind of press release or explain in a bit more detail what happened. But we shall see. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Speaking of Fenders, um, Anderton's has partnered with uh, Fender to create this, well, Made in Mexico, Strat. Uh, very eddy style. Uh, what was the color? It's like Ferrari yellow, I think, is the yeah, player Stratocaster. So made, made in Mexico, 80s style limited edition, HSS Strat. And I mean, looks nice, vibrant. There's a plane flying over <coughs> our apartment. I'm not sure. Or hoping it's not. Disturbing what I'm talking here, and yep, has a pair of Alnico 5 single coils in the neck and in the middle, and Alnico 5 bridge humbucker as well. Five-way control, and a single master volume port. Oh, there's two tone knobs as well with a five-way switch. So, fairly standard strat thing. Uh, You are happy, happy that it has an ebony fretboard. Was it ebony? I think it was ebony. Yes, it has an ebony fretboard, Yay. unlike the rest of the player range. I think that's an awesome addition. And I think it's interesting yeah. that Andertons have done an FSR run of these guitars and chosen an ebony board. And it's interesting, too, that that's kind of the only sort of upgrade that they've chosen. I, I wouldn't have been that surprised to see them do something slightly different with the pickups, because this mm. guitar kind of looks like a bit of a shreddy strat, like the the it heavy does. metal strat or whatever, but it just has the standard Alnico 5 player series pickups in it. So it's a traditional HSS strat, as traditional as you can get with an HSS strat in this Ferrari yellow clothing. And it looks the business. It looks lovely. It's yeah, not it my standard cup of tea at all, really, but it looks great. Although, uh, do you, I have one more question. They do like a, yeah, go ahead. They say Ferrari yellow. If you were going to buy a Ferrari, Vlad, let's say in five years' time, Cat Pick Fridays is the number one podcast on Spotify. We've replaced Joe Rogan. We were paid $100 million by Spotify. (laughs) And you were about to purchase a Ferrari. What color would you purchase a Ferrari in? Would it be yellow? 
because for me, well, actually, you know me, I like blue, but the only color to buy a Ferrari <laughs> in is red, isn't it? Isn't well, it? That's the thing that uh, I'm going to say, like, what's the word? A light no. <laughs> Not like a very firm no, but like a slight no, because I do also associate Ferrari with yellow. Maybe Lotus or something is a bit more yellow than Ferrari, but I kind of associate them with yellow as well. And that's something they do talk about on the Anditons video actually as well. But uh, first of all, I would probably never buy a Ferrari for the Finnish weather conditions. It's been minus 20 degrees Celsius as of late and my car got stuck. The, uh, a couple of mornings ago, my car got stuck in snow and it's way like higher off the ground than your regular Ferrari. <laughs> so <laughs> I'd probably buy something else. Uh, but yeah... I'm okay with yellow, but I get your point at, at least. But I don't think Ferrari red is as standout as Ferrari yellow because Ferrari red, candy apple red, all those kind of red shades of red, maybe not as eye-catching or not. It doesn't stand out as much at least to me. So I guess this makes sense. Maybe yeah, you maybe Lee right. Anderton is actually dry. Yeah, maybe Lee Anderton is just driving a Ferrari, or this is as close <laughs> to a yellow Ferrari as his wife allows him to get. One of yeah, those. possibly. Yeah, maybe. So. Yeah, if we if we were getting Ferraris to celebrate Cat Pick Friday, I guess we'd have to get custom shell pink ones. That would be ideal, yeah. wouldn't it? And it's of the Ferrari. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But yeah, this guitar looks good. It looks like a lot of fun. Do you know what it costs? I've just Googled the price, and I think it's quite reasonable. I wasn't able to, I wasn't able to but do they have it? Uh, let's check out some information yeah, on Anderton. It's on the Anderton's website. 699 UK pounds, 800, 900-ish euros or so. Yeah. And limited run of 150. It looks actually really cool in the pictures. It really does, doesn't it? And I feel like for that price, it's worth it over a more standard one that doesn't have an ebony board, at least for me, because yeah. that's, a, that's a feature I, would, I really like to see. This yeah. guitar also reminds me a lot of that, um, I've forgotten the model number of it, an Ibanez, which is very popular, a kind of shreddy, sort of luminous yellow one, an RG, oh, oh I don't know what it's called. But RG 550? The 550, yep. That's a classic as well. This is a bit more, I don't know, what's the word like, uh, generally friendly in the sense, I don't know what, what term I'm going for, but like this is the kind of less pointy version that doesn't necessarily tie you as strongly to hair metal as that RG does. So, yeah, exactly. I'm going to, yeah. This will sell well. I think so too. And I, I think I read that. They had an initial run of 20 of these and they sold out straight away. And now there's going to be 130 more coming in and I guess they'll sell out pretty fast too. Yeah. If I was in the UK, well, I would be sorely tempted, but mm. I'm not. So, you know, getting one of these <laughs> yeah. from the UK is fraught with complexity and difficulty and extra pricing. So, yeah, I shan't, unfortunately. Yeah. I think it is interesting that like a store is partnering with them. But then again, like 
I think compared to Thoman's uh, online presence, for example, or Sweetwater, for that matter, like Anderson is very kind of personified, something like that, uh, with Lee and Pete. And they have like their own preferences and stuff like that. And like, maybe maybe it's easier to for them to work with a company like Fender because like they both play Fenders. They like Fenders are their main guitars, basically. Even so, I know what you mean. I mean, a lot of stores do do, you know, Fender special runs at exclusives. But it's interesting to see one being done like this. It, mm. But it's also interesting that you say that Pete and Lee both play Fender, and it's true that they do. But neither of them really play a guitar that's anything like this, do they? I suppose that's the true. Lee had the Cap Ten Chapman guitar. Was that an Which HSS is based on his Strat? Fender. It was, yeah. was it? Yeah. yeah, it's an HSH Strat. HSH. Which has okay, so maybe this is more his, his cup of tea. Stick it on it as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we'd love to try one of these out. And you're going to happen most likely because this will be sold out before I got the means to get one. And ordering from UK is pro- probably not the best idea. Going to cost me a lot. Yeah, that's the problem so. at the moment. Buying or selling to the UK, it's uh, it's not as easy as it used to be. Yep, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Some other Fender news uh, on the guitar.com site. There's a cool video link where you can hear the 40th anniversary Telecaster Strat and the Jazzmaster they released. And we talked about the whole thing a few weeks ago. And these look amazing. I still crave for that. Um, was it the 40th anniversary baritone telly, for example? The baritone telly. I, yeah, me too. Ooh. Is there a video of that one? I haven't seen these videos, by the way, so I haven't heard I them. Don't I don't remember mean, I, hearing those on the video because they kind of go through the basic model. So there's... Yeah. Uh, there, yeah. So basically, I think here on YouTube, you can see there's the white... Jazzmaster that looks like the J Maskis one. Then there's the. Mm-hmm. I hope my YouTube player doesn't die again, which it definitely seems to be doing. Uh, yeah, then there's the Strat and one Tele, but I think they left out all the kind of more special ones for later videos. And haven't seen these on channels I follow. No, either, me neither. So. Uh- are they available to buy? That's the question, because I think, especially in Europe, we're going to have to wait a few months still to to actually see yeah, any of these so. in person. Yeah, I think so. Maybe that's why we're not seeing those Yeah, on the channels. And Squire, yeah. I, I don't think they work as much with YouTubers as some other brands do. Or do they? Could be. I'm not, I don't uh, think they do. Not 100% sure, but I think it's mostly like Fender Fender guitars, especially since they have... Yeah. Them. The player series already, which is like sub one thousand, I think. Yes. Euros or yeah, dollars. Fender we know so. are very, very good at just uh, vomiting guitars in the general direction of YouTube <laughs> channels, especially when they're acoustisonics. Yeah, there was a wave of acoustisonics, and then you hear nothing about them later. So, acoustisonic. Wave. I wonder if Squire right. will ever have an acoustisonic. Um, I guess not. I don't know if you could make one that cheap. Probably not. I think the player series kind of took care of that. Yeah. 
Yeah, that would probably have Interesting, to cut though. too many corners. Corners yeah, to exactly. make a jazz, oh, jazz master version. <laughs> squire version of that. I'm getting mixed with my squires and jazz masters. Okay, According to we're rolling again. Three to four weeks availability on those squire telecustom baritones. Oh, that's not too And bad, you'll have actually. a choice because there's the paranormal ones, which you can still get. You know, the ones with the P90s, which are mm. uh, Cabernita Tele-esque. So, mm. yeah. I'm very tempted by those baritones. Yeah, me too. That's something that, like, if there's a guitar that's really missing from my collection, that's the one because it's something you cannot replicate with. I'd say even like down tuning because it requires you to set up your guitar so differently. And I've had few low, like, Standard scale guitars with uh, like lower tunings. It's it's just not the same. Yeah. And from Fender Squires to Boss, uh, we talked about this last week, and I'm happy to announce that we were right with our rumors and leaks and stuff like that because Boss has actually informed us that they will be releasing the Space Echo as RE2 pedal. So the compact size pedal and all the rumors we talked about last week were true. And we talked about this off camera. We both felt that Boss kind of had to, or like they did a thing they never do, where they told us that, hey, this is what we're going to release. Because usually when they release stuff, that's that thing is in the stores already. At least with a lot yeah, of stuff. I wish, I wish we'd had that conversation on camera because we would have looked even smarter than we already do. I know. <laughs> I know. But we said, but yeah, it was like yeah, two hours after we, we stopped shooting, they were like, here's the thing. Yeah, exactly. The standard thing with us, you know, later in the day that we talk about <laughs> something that might be happening, it's confirmed or denied. But yeah, we both said that we felt like Boss had been pressured into yeah. doing this release. It. Yeah, because um, it got leaked and it was true. And I guess it was too far gone that they could just kind of brush it under the carpet because obviously the, the Space Echo is such a, a big thing that people were talking about it everywhere. And yeah, like you said, they've done this quite, no, not strange. It's a totally normal landing site, isn't it? For people who can <laughs> register their interest and get updates on it. But it's clear that the pedal was not ready to be released. Yep. And um, like you just said, Vlad, I've never seen Boss do anything like that before, where it's been like just a single landing page saying, yeah, this is coming, but very vague on the details, very vague on the nitty gritty, and just saying sign up to receive more information when it's there. So it's yep. like, yeah, they, they had to get something out, and it could be a while before we actually see this pedal. Maybe Nam time, yeah. maybe June. Yeah, could be. Uh I still think it looks great. I definitely need to hit up my boss contacts to see if we can work something out because uh, it looks great. There's a history to that pedal. Uh, wait a second. I've owned, I just realized that I have owned the RE20. You just realized that now? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I just realized that. Okay. I started thinking like, have I actually used these effects? Then if, point in my life and I realized I used to own an RE20 at some point. Uh, this was back in the day where I was swapping gear like crazy, trying to cover up the fact that I didn't, like I just hadn't practiced enough to 
play properly. <laughs> and yeah, just kept trading here. And one of those pedals was RE20 that came in, stayed for me for a while, and then I just moved on from it. Uh, for whatever reason, don't ask me why, or you can, but the answers may vary depending why? on my mood. <laughs> why? Uh, probably because it didn't have a, like programmable presets, or I didn't look like how it looked, or it didn't smell right, or maybe I just wanted to have a longer delay time. One or several out of all of those options. Yeah, makes total sense. Yes, exactly. So there you go. And speaking of RE2, <laughs> Nuvex has also announced they're going to release a pedal called... Uh, I was trying to check. I hope it's not called RE201. It's called RE201. It's just... No, it's, it's just called, called Tape the, Echo. Um, no, it's, I've seen the name somewhere. It's called NND7 or something. Or NND7? Or NDD7. Come on, guitar.com. Why have you not put the name of the product in the yeah in the press releases? Can that be true? These new releases is like a couple of days old when this episode airs. It sure looks like RE Space Echo has two foot switches, unlike the RE2 that Boss just confirmed. NDD7. Ah, there you go. Sorry. Yep. There you go. And yeah, has two foot switches. Can I zoom in the photo to see what the controls are? So there's a rec play dub. Uh, wait, is there like a looper type of thing built inside? It of looks it? like it has one of those um, sound on sound loopers. You know, Ooh. like you get on pedals like the Strymon Volante, which is like you have the loop and it kind of gradually fades out. Ooh. You know? So there's several. I mean, it might have a, it might just be a standard today. looper, but I, I'm guessing that's what it is. Yeah. Okay. So there's at least two contexts I need to hit up today. Because <laughs> 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 this looks cool, and my dream would be able to do a comparison between this and the uh, RA2. And by the way, I have to mention, like, uh, I've had a pedal from NewX that. Design-wise, it reminds me a little bit of this, but that was from their like earlier run of pedals, and I'm not sure they even produced it anymore. It also had like this space echo-ish design with like this dark gray slash green type of design, very plasticky. Uh, sounded fine, but like overall hardware quality wasn't what it's now with pretty much all the new X pedals, all the newer designs. Yeah. And you've you've tried a bunch of the, their pedals as well. Like they're really high quality. They feel sturdy, and most of them sound really good as well. And kind of cool to see them update this range. And seems like this pedal will have like bunch of, bunch of extra features as a, some sort of looper. Seems like there's even like a display on on the front presets. Maybe yeah, that's a tiny display on the unit as well. Yeah, there you go. I think I think I caught in the text that there will be three tape heads on this delay, and mm. you can control them, and you you see what you've got via the screen there. That is very nice. So, so MIDI cable and software lets you to assign which controls respond to which MIDI parameters as well. Nice. Yeah. 
It's very interesting that two of these space echo pedals are confirmed within a week, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, obviously, this was also in the making for a while. And Nuix does the thing where they kind of do tributes to a bunch of other pedals out there. But I love the fact that they're not like copying exactly. They're doing their own interpretations of the set pedals. So why not? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, there are already so many sort of oh, Space yeah. Echo-esque pedals out there. So it's not like this is a a rampant clone at the first time that it's been done or anything like that. Yeah, that's the thing. But yeah, I like this a lot. And hopefully we'll be seeing th this pedal on both of our channels in the future. Oh, fingers crossed. <laughs> Indeed. From delays to base stuff, uh, Origin Effects, uh, Super Vintage and 64 Black Panel Bass Rig Classic Amps in pedal format brought to you by Genius.com. And they're based on Ampeg SVT and Fender Showman slash Bassman Amps. And as all Origin Effects pedals, these look super sturdy. They look beautifully designed. Lots of small switches on the pedal as well and based on the videos i quickly checked these sound really really good the bass rig has a class a preamp and it goes for the ampeg svt sound so a very it's classic, a classic and it's a classic and bunch of controls there's low frequency high frequency trimmers amp out eqs the horn cut so which combats any fuzziness when using overdriven sounds with tweeter a quick gap. So there's even the a horn cut. I like horn. that. <laughs> so many jokes that we're not going to tell here about with that. But, Indeed. Um, moving on. Uh, there's a switch for the DI cap sim as well. And yeah, like to me, this sounds like a full fresh bass rig in a pedal. And there's even an XLR out on it, so I think this is designed like this might be the only pedal you need when you play playing live or recording, for that matter. Yeah, I mean, hence the name Bass Rig. It's an all-in-one <laughs> solution. I mean, that's definitely a lot easier for your back than carrying, you know, <laughs> an eight by ten amp around with you. Yeah, and I bet yeah, these uh, sound great. I mean, the Origin Effect stuff is very, very high quality. Yeah, the cap sims include early 60s Fender 2x15 base cabinet for the 64 black panel and Ampeg SVT 8x10 cabinet for the super vintage. So they're basically pairing them with like a proper cabinet for that sound. I'd personally yeah. probably go for the Ampeg just because I've been using that. Uh, there's a Ampeg model or like, well, yeah, virtual amp on the universal audio thing I have because they use the audio interface and that Ampeg just sounds so, 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 so good. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure what I'd try. I mean, I, I still don't have a bass amp to go with my, my Squire. Something like this might be the solution. Oh, just about, do you have these, a bass? Are, yes. Which one? <laughs> Why don't I remember? It's a, it's a Squire bass. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <It's, laughs> let me get it. 
he he said and turned slowly. Yeah, let, let us zoom in onto Rich and figure out what what's going on with his bass. Uh, okay, so it's a sunburst thing. It's a jazz bass, block inlays. Yeah, I knew that much. It's a uh... oh god, it's dusty. <laughs> the model name is called Oh God, it's dusty. Yeah, that looks nice. You know, I'm actually, I'm. Yeah, it's really nice. And I, I went to Session Music in Germany in a town called Waldorf. And I wanted to get a bass because I wanted to record original ideas. And I didn't like using a guitar as a modeler. And I played a yeah. bunch of different squires. And I never thought I would end up with one with a vintage tinted maple board, which was a jazz bass. But I went for that because jazz basses have thinner necks. And that just worked better on my hands than the P basses at the time. And this one just felt and played the best. So I went for it. I'm absolutely nice. distraught that I, I can't even remember if it's a classic vibe or a vintage modified. But I'm going to go with vintage modified. I'm really not sure. Oh, God. Based on what yeah. I paid for it, it was probably vintage modified. Yeah. It was less than 300 I mean, those euros. Are still, those are still great bases, so why not? And yeah, I, I think also jazz bass is the bass to get, like, if you would get like just one bass and want it to be as versatile as possible. I'd probably go with a jazz bass, personally at least. So I know it's a 70s model. Wait mm, yeah. for it. Let me. Wait. I'm wait, just doing a wait, spot of wait. stealthy Googling. Oh, according to this, it's a classic vibe bass. Oh, there, well, you, there go. you go. You learn something every day. Yeah. But yeah, jazz bass, That's like uh, my first bass was a Fender Squire. I think it was the 70s as well. I think it had like black block in less jazz bass as well. I kind of regret selling that one. It was really good. Versatile, stayed in tune, sounded great. Uh, then I swapped it for a five-string Harley-Benton and now I got rid of that one and now I'm playing a Music Man, which is a whole different thing as well. And that bass needs setup. And we're going to talk about the guitar setup later in the show, so there's that. Uh, I, want to I think it's actually a vintage arc. modified bass. Sorry, I'm still ah. looking at my bass online. Or what <laughs> might be my bass? It, it doesn't appear to be being sold anymore. Maybe someone watching can tell us. The, yeah, the one specific thing which will let us know is it's a 70s model and it has like... Let me just get the camera back up. It has like strat knobs as opposed to oh standard bass knobs. And that, I know it's a 70s model... It's got mother of pearl inlays as opposed to the black ones that you see on the current classic mm. vibes. I think it's it's a 2018 model. I think it's uh, it's made in Indonesia. I'm guessing it's vintage modified. Someone tell us. Yes, let us know. <laughs> we want to know what Rich has bought. I want to know what I spent hundreds of euros on three years ago. Yeah. <laughs> uh. But I mean, like, that that's something that I also kind of love about shopping in a guitar store and something that cannot be replicated via, when you shop online. Uh, you think there's a specific, like, guitar or bass you want to get, but then you go to the store and then you try a bunch of them out and then something that you maybe never thought of actually resonates with you. And you end up that's getting that That's the beauty one. of stores, 100%. Yeah. And, you know, I, I never went looking for that specifically. I'm not hugely into sunburst because I find it a little bit boring. I never expected to get a maple neck. I never expected yep. to get one that was a bit 
different in that it had different inlays and it had the strat knobs or whatever. I was expecting to get a precision bass because that's what everybody says you should get. It sits perfectly in every mix, apparently. And mm, yeah. yeah, I tried a bunch out. I tried Fenders. I tried Squires. I tried other brands. I tried some Epiphones. I tried some Ibanezes. I tried other things that I can't remember. And I just kept coming back to this one. And if that's what happens and you're in a store, you get one that sort of speaks to you, then you, you should go for it because it's the right thing. Yep, exactly. And as I mentioned, that's what that's something that I love about going to a guitar store because you, yeah, like I was thinking about swapping to a Music Man base, but then I got into a store locally here and tried the Music Man out, and I was like, this is really cool. It's a, a bit more unique sound, but I love it. And it was fairly affordable, looked cool, plays great, since sits really well in my hand. Yeah, just needs to set up. Again, something we're going to talk about a bit later. And I'm definitely cutting out this section as one of the clips from the show so we get the maximum amount of people's attention to figure out what on earth that bass is. We want to know. Yeah, from bass to loopers. I love the gear cuts article title. DC Electronics new impulse IR loader does what you think it does. It loads IRs. Thank you, gear cuts. That is some pretty good headline writing. Yes. Yeah, they've been pushing out a lot of pedals as of late. Oh, yeah. And this show looks like the more, what's it called? They have the uh, radar. Oh, uh, is it the, yes, the radar, yeah. Yes, it looks a bit like that to me. Yeah. Features 25 built-in IRs, 12 official slash string cap models, and 99 slots for you to upload whatever you want. Simply drag and drop your IRs over USB and use the dedicated IR organizer for PC and Mac. And the impulse IR loader will take care of the rest. Yeah, there you go. It's an IR loader. Apparently, we need one more because previous ones Why aren't not? enough for you to choose from. Yeah. This might be the best yeah. one. <laughs> it's very small. It's, Wait, um, I'm pretty sure it's made in the exact same housing as the Ditto Plus looper. Have you seen yeah, that? It's it does. the newest version with the screen and the two arrows at either side. Yeah. That was yeah, me doing the arrows thing, your, by the way. Yeah, I just noticed your photo on the GearCuts website. There you are, sitting with Trey. <laughs> wow. I think oh, this God, means you're famous. Destroying that poor diesel microamp. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean... Four hundred and twenty-nine U dollar US dollars. It probably competes with the Moore radar and so 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 many other IR loaders. So uh, why not? That's the only thing I can say about this. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's become a very saturated marketplace. The IR one, hasn't it? Yeah, I, but I guess there's need for those. So, well, who who do you think this kind of pedal is for? That's for me. That's a really interesting question. Because it's like, um, well, okay, you tell me what you think first. Well, people are moving towards uh, pedal board based rigs. I've used one myself. Uh, I didn't use the mover IR loader. I used the two notes cap M for that. But I mean, it's highly practical. Like the gig I used it for, or the gigs, multiple gigs during the same day in different places, having a pedal board based rig was super practical because the only things I had to pack was my guitar and 
the pedal board. And it sounded great. It sounded really good. There's a video on my channel actually demonstrating that pedal board and that rig, and it just sounds freaking amazing. Yeah, it was the most practical solution for that particular gig. And I don't know, like, you could also use a modeler for that, but not everyone wants to use a modeler. And I might actually be one of those people, even though I got myself a pot <laughs> recently. <laughs> uh, yeah. You see, that was that was the point that I wanted to make. It's like you could just have a modeler because if you have a really nice analog board and an amp head, let's say, or whatever, and it's all analog, and then you run it into this, you're into the digital realm anyway, aren't you? So why not kind just of, go down yeah. the modeling route? I mean, I, I personally agree with your opinion. I'm just splitting hairs a bit, playing devil's advocate or whatever, but <laughs> that that's my thought on these pedals. And I'm also yep. not someone who absolutely has to be 100% analog or anything like that. I don't believe in that. I believe that what sounds best is the best thing for the job. But yep. if you're someone who only wants to play real boutique analog pedals and then you put it through one of these, it's like, yeah. What's the point? Yeah. Well, the thing is like an IR loader is basically just a filter. So in that sense, I'm fine with that. And it's, it sounds way better than you're doing like, like most analog cap sims don't sound that good, for example. So in that sense, the digital is the way to go. Obviously, my rig was also paired with a preamp pedal. Like I used the what's it called, two notes, Leclean, I think was the preamp I used. So I got like, ex so oh, there was kind of an amp. Yeah, yeah, so I basically kind of had an amp on my pedal board as well. And that rig sounded, sounded really good. Yeah, and definitely much more practical than a standard old school, you know, tube amp that you have to mic up or whatever. Oh yeah, so, definitely. Yeah, yeah and I, I don't know, I just my, my brain is just, more in tune with like working with actual like physical pedals, even if they would be like digital pedals, than just like yeah, mine too. stuff. Mine too. Yeah. And there's a the lot funny of thing people is, who think uh, like that. Yeah, so. yeah, I think so. I think that's the standard way to think about stuff. I'm actually thinking about getting one of these to go after the Pog Go, <laughs> just Ooh. to make that sound better, which is funny, putting this after a modeler. Would that make any sense? I don't know. I'm uh, not sure because to like... There's a dedicated uh, slot on the podco for the IR, and like but you, you can just replace disconnect it, it. it, just replace it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you can give it a try. I was actually recording with my podco yesterday and wasn't like super happy with the sounds, but I've spent very little time like actually learning how to tweak it. So yeah, I'm not throwing it out of the window just yet, and not that I would throw it out of the window anyway because it's a bit too cold outside. All right, yeah, from IRLotus, yes, indeed. And um, from IRLotus to Positive Grid, who launched the Spark Mini, scaled down battery powered version of the Spark. And I think this is a big thing. The original Spark has sold well and seems to be really good based on all the reviews. I trust some of my friends' reviews because they tell you what they actually think these products and apparently it's good but it's also fairly pricey and now there's a mini version uh, the guitar.com article does mention that there's no word on price just yet with the Spark Mini 
But yeah, it's a scaled down version. Uh, there's also an iOS app or Android app. You can operate it with your phone as you do with the bigger unit as well. And there's four different presets. You can program to the control knob. I wish there was more photos of the unit. There's a video. We should go on the Let Positive me... Grid website. There's loads of photos yeah. there. Oh, that yeah. makes a lot of sense. Tell me more. Tell me more. I want to know more. Yeah, looks cute. Yeah, and uh, as someone who works in the industry as my day job and does marketing stuff, I really like yeah. how they've done this site. It looks really attractive. There's a swappable well grill for the amp as well. I know. It's like a decoration type of thing. Yeah, looks that makes it look a little bit light. like a toy, but still, it's kind of cool. Like Action yeah. Man or Barbie, where you could change their clothes. <laughs> uh, yeah. All new Smart Jam feature. You can use it as Bluetooth speaker. Unbelievable sound. Uh, yeah, this is where it will live or die on whether it actually sounds any good. Because it oh, is a very a small... Base. Um, yes, it does. So it has. Well, we're looking. If you're if you're just listening, take a look at the the video of this. We're looking yeah. at a picture of the design of the app now. Or it's gone now again. But we were, and it has two full stereo dual angled speakers yeah. poking out the front, and underneath they have omnidirectional bass, as they're calling it, stealth design passive radiator for bass with amazing punch. So those actually sound good because, like, I don't know if you like. Have you heard some of the kind of more recent, like, you know, those JBL speakers that look like a tube, yeah, something like that? Those are great. Like, if this yeah, can replicate, do. if this can replicate that kind of sound, it would. I, I'm. I think this will be super fun to play, and it would get like. Very I think it'll definitely be able to sound. replicate those sounds. The question is, will it replicate? the experience of playing a guitar as opposed to the experience of hearing a really cool guitar-based song, if you know what mm -hmm. I mean. Yeah. That's a good question. But, but I, I think it might. You know? I think it could also depend on what surface you place this. Oh, yeah. Most likely. I think it would probably sound very different if you place it on a glass uh, table compared to like... A... I once had a tiny little speaker that I think it actually was a Pringles thing. And it was like, it was something to do with like a World Cup or a European Cup um, yeah. promotion. But it was designed to fit into a Pringles tube. And you would use the Pringles tube, the empty Pringles tube, as your kind of sound enhancer. And that was very cool. I've probably still got it somewhere. Yeah. Well, there's some sort of... a. Uh... There's a video capture feature where you can record yourself while playing. This is truly designed for all the Instagram people. I mean, why not? Why not? If it will synchronize your audio and video right away, why not? Yeah, if if that helps them get some more sales, it's something they might as well put in. Yeah. This is this is genuinely an amp designed for the age of TikTok. Mm, that's very true. 10,000 yeah. plus tones. Thank you. That's exactly what I need. I need 10,000. Yes, exactly. More is more. Who needs one good one if you've got 10,000 plus tones? Exactly. But yeah, 
So it looks very cool. Interface. It looks very fun. It looks like a great travel rig. There's a picture of a guy playing a Gibson with the logo removed from the headstock. And uh, I'm trying to find the price because that that could be a th- there is no pricing. I, I've looked around online. Uh, yeah. I've looked at their Instagram posts where people have been asking, and they, they haven't announced the price yet. So we're still waiting on that. Yeah. What do you, do you expect it much, to cost? Yeah. Uh, do you remember how much the big one is? It's four hundred something, I think. There were various different prices. I had as the base price two hundred and fifty in my head. Let me just check. Yeah. But there were some that were about 400 as well. Yeah. Positive Grid Spark. Price. At the moment, the Google search says $265, uh, 265 euros plus tax. So 300-ish something. Yeah. Yeah, $300 plus tax. So yeah, what's that going to be? $400 by the time you get it through to your yeah, home it could in, be. in Europe? Yeah, Finnish VAT is twenty four percent, so yeah, so like quite a lot on top of that. But yeah, I mean, so even this th- thing, like I'd say, if it's could it be two hundred ish euros? Is that too little? I think it probably has to be. Yeah, maybe it doesn't. If they can get it sub two hundred euros, this will be a bestseller right away. Just because it looks cool, it's like. Kind of rivals those, you know, like a lot of I like a lot of my friends who aren't even guitar players have the Marshall, like Bluetooth speakers. Yeah, and if this is like sub two hundred, a lot of people will buy these as like, hey, a fun practice time. Plus, it like I can listen to music through it or podcasts and stuff like that. And yeah, you can exactly. Swap the they're marketing it. Get it. Yeah, they're marketing it as a Bluetooth speaker as well. So it's it's for everybody really. And of course, you as a guitar player can justify it to your family members by saying, yeah, it'll also sound great to listen to other things through. Yeah, I'm curious to try one out. I've seen... From a guitar player's perspective, the one thing that it's missing from the Spark Amp is the the bias amp stuff. This only gives you access Mm. to presets. That's what I've been reading so far. Ah. So you don't have all the tonal tweaking options, but you rely on pre-made presets of which there are yeah. more than 10,000 so you have options <laughs> yeah that, that should be enough for you to browse through I hope yeah and, and there are but, some basic options on the amp itself but I think actually yeah. the three knobs are only for the the independent volumes of the guitar and the backing track or whatever mm. can we see a picture of the amp there on the screen please oh there you go the top panel huh. was the top panel view let's see let's see let's see uh I'll be surprised if there's no top panel view. Come on, really? Well, that's that's actually that's the least important thing, I guess, <laughs> on this product. Yep, no there picture are no of the top, top panel, panel views of this amp. Thanks. Interesting. Grid. Did you watch the video that they released where they had a bunch of different musicians who'd come in and were blind testing it? Oh, I didn't. I missed that. Is is this the one that's? Playing on the side? No, it's it's very amusing. It's like in a standard sort of photography studio environment and they mm-hmm. have a, a series of extremely young and good-looking musicians come in and play a few notes and then they ask them, what do you think you're playing right now? And they all say, oh yeah, this, this is definitely the world's hugest amp and speaker. And then they turn around and go, whoa, it's so tiny. Oh man, that's why we weren't invited. It was because uh, we're not as young anymore. We do fit the other criteria, though. 
Yeah, yeah. exactly. I, I don't sure know like... if these are real musicians. They can all play guitar. They're all good players, but it's like, yeah. it's clearly a marketing exercise. It, yeah, this clearly, yeah, I mean, uh, and clearly this isn't aimed towards like professional musicians in the sense like this is going to revolutionize their stuff, what they're doing. But if this helps a lot of new guitar players to start jamming, and there's like a lot of like learning stuff in the software as well on the phone. Great. That's exactly what we need. More people playing guitar. It's good for you. And once you kind of practice just a little bit, it's fun for the other people around you as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it could be the solution for on-the-road musicians. You know, it could yeah, be your tour bus or backstage, you know, pre-gig warm-up practice amp or something. Mm. I don't know. Yep. I have seen yep. other amps that are kind of modeled in that sort of a direction. But yeah, Positive Grid are really kind of working towards integrating the modern world into how guitar players use their stuff. I don't think that sentence made any sense whatsoever. What I mean is they're building modern sort of forward-thinking products for people who exist in the 21st century. That makes yeah. more sense. And I mean, like, the cool thing about the age we live in, like, no matter what kind of solution you want to have, you if you want to have, like, big amps and things like that, and ha you absolutely demand that your amps have tubes and stuff like that, you can do that while still being, like, geek-friendly with, with all the two-notes products, for example, and all those kind of things. Or if you want to go fully digital, fully modern, there's an option for that as well. Like, no matter what kind of rig you want to build, there's apps and pedals and amps and things like that for you. So that's cool. I like that a lot. And I mean, imagine starting out with this kind of app com compared to what we started with. Plus this has all the learning software as well. It's such a different thing. Yeah, exactly. I remember the first amps I had. Yeah. Awful things. Oh, Delaney. I had Delaney, whatever. Thing it was it was terrible yeah anyway from that to something completely else guitar.com has a fun read six iconic stratocasters throughout the rock history from jimmy to stevie we examine the history of fender's iconic instrument across six legendary players and the axis and oh. the first one there's a photo of stevie ray Warren. uh yeah and one of the legendary guitars is this us SRV's number one. Wow, that guitar is beat up. I mean, it's Stevie Ray Warren. That's what you expect from him, but still. <laughs> Often referred to by Stevie Ray Warren as his first wife. <laughs> uh -huh. Cool. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, it features a left-handed bridge. So... Long thought to be homemade by SRV's hero, Jimi Hendrix, who generally played a right-handed guitar upside down so that it stuck the broader arm hung over the bridge saddles. So so did, did he not use a whammy bar? I apologize for my lack mm. of knowledge, but um, yeah, I don't, yeah it. I don't really know much about Stevie Ray Vaughan beyond the obvious that everybody knows. Well, yeah, I gotta say, I'm not sure. Uh, the guitar originally had a 7.25 inch radius, 
but after years of abuse and maintenance, the neck now has a radius of 30 inches. So this is playing just like flatten the radius. I guess that's possible. Yeah. yeah, it's like over the, you know, over thousands of years, rivers beat valleys out of hills. And oh, Stevie true. Ray Vaughan's guitar got flatter. The neck got flatter as he played it more. <laughs> he must have had a heavy touch. But didn't he also yeah. use extremely thick strings? Yeah, Stevie, they mentioned in the article, Stevie famously used 30 okay, gauge yep. strings and tuned the guitar high step down for easier bending. Yeah, uh, SRV's number one was used on every Double Trouble album and Strat was retired in 1990 following his death. And Fender has made several other runs of replicas dating back to 1992. The original now resides with Stevie's brother Jimmy Vaughan of the fabulous Thunderbirds. I always forget that he ha has a brother that's also a great player, I think. Am I mixing him with mm. Jimmy Wall. Vaughan, I think, heard him play. Do you remember, like, are you familiar with Jimmy Vaughan's mu music? I'm familiar with the Fabulous Thunderbirds, but I wasn't familiar with Jimmy Vaughan, no. Oh, there you go. I, I think I've seen him play somewhere. He's a great musician as well. So, I'm sure he is. It probably runs yeah. in the family. Yeah, so it seems. Uh... The number two guitar, David Gilmour's Black Strat, which was, is, is this the one that was sold a couple of years it ago? It was fairly Did recently up for auction, yeah. <laughs> for $3,975,000. Oh, man. Jim R. Say, it's quite a lot oh, of money. That's quite a lot of money for anything but especially guitar. Yeah. Uh, I don't, I'm trying to think which one is more iconic out of these two I want to say Gilmore just I mean for yeah for me personally for, for where I come from I would have to say Gilmore but I'm not really into either but the Gilmore guitar is also one that you you hear more about or at least I do and mm. you, you see more companies making clones of that guitar and I also hear more musicians kind of idolizing Gilmore than I do Stevie Ray Vaughan. Although if yeah. you ask me in my day job and I'm talking to guys like Thomas Bloom, then it's the other way around. <laughs> yeah, I think with Stevie Ray, is, the fact is like um, both uh, guitar players have like legendary songs where there's like guitars in the forefront of that song. But I think like anyone who starts playing a Strat pretty quickly realizes that to get to Stevie Ray Vaughan's level, you gotta practice a lot, and even then you might not get there. Whereas Pink Floyd is maybe a bit more accessible guitar playing wise. Maybe that kind of partially also affects. But Pink Floyd had, has had a gigantic career. Yeah, maybe in a Stevie way. I, I think. I think playing like Gilmore is a lot harder than it looks. But mm. the other point that you just made is dead on and that is the fact that Pink Floyd is a hugely famous and influential band and non-musicians are huge fans of Pink Floyd whereas I think with yeah. Stevie Ray Vaughan his ongoing influence is primarily among guitar players I, yeah. I, I'm not sure and anyone watching correct me if I'm wrong but I don't think he's had the same global influence or high charting records as Pink Floyd have had yeah could be I mean it might have been different had his career not been cut 
tragically short, but you know, mm. we'll never know. Yeah, that's the thing. The same thing goes with Hendrix as well. So yeah, and I, I bet we're going to see a Hendrix guitar here on the list. But well. which one will it be? And will it be a real Hendrix guitar or a fake? <laughs> oh damn it! Uh, yeah, we're going to address that in a second. But before that, uh, the third guitar is Eric Clapton's Blackie. And yeah, yeah. it was his Another main guitar very from one. yeah from 1974 to 1985, and <laughs> the article says that the guitar was somewhat of a parts caster beginning in 1970, when Captain bought a six, uh, when he bought six 1950s Stratocasters in Nashville for 200 or $300 each. He gave one to each George Harrison, Pete Townsend, and Steve Windwood. And then Clapton took the parts from the remaining three strats, all from 56 to 57, and gave them to Nashville Luthier Ted Newman-Jones for assembly. And the resulting guitar was dubbed Blackie. Didn't know that it was a parts caster. You know, I didn't know things. that either. I wonder why he took the other three to pieces. I mean, maybe he took the neck he liked the best, the body and the pickups from the one he liked the best, but it's just... The way it's written, it's just kind of like, mm-hmm. he just accidentally, or they fell apart and he took it to a guy and said, could you build me one, please? Yeah. Well, I'm, but I'm yeah, that's another very, very famous guitar. Mm. Oh, yeah, if the, all of those guitars were from, from like 56 and 57, like the kind of quali- average quality was might, might have probably varied quite a bit more than nowadays. So. Yeah. Maybe he, as you just mentioned, he probably took the best parts out of all three and say, gave it to you since like, make me a Frankenstrat of this, so to speak. Even though Frankenstrat is a different guitar. <laughs> I just it is. Maybe it's also on the list. Who knows? Yeah. Not sure. Uh, something or oh, anything else about this guitar? Clapton relied on Blackie almost exclusively on stage and in the studio for a decade. And... They also said that Ingrid Malmsteen was the first one to actually have his signature appear on the headstock on a signature Stratocaster model. Uh, <laughs> and they mentioned that Clapton signatures only started appearing after Ingrid got his. <laughs> uh, yeah. And oh, yeah, and in 2004, Blackie sold an auction for a nice amount of 959000 to Guitar Center. Oh, the proceeds going to benefit Clapton's own Crossroads Center. At the time, it was the most expensive guitar ever sold. And then they also mentioned the record has been broken several times as we just found out with the uh, Gilmore Strat. So, yeah. Uh, wait, is this the fourth? Guitar? I'm yes. losing count. Yeah, Hendrix Woods. Stevie Ray Vaughan, Dave Gilmore, Eric Clapton, and now, number four. Hendrix. Uh, yeah, he had several Stratocasters throughout his illustrious career. But most he famous did. was the 1968 Olympic White Strat he called Isabella. And he also became known as the Woodstock Strat. Yep, that's the legendary one. And <laughs> they they do say in the article that it wasn't even Hendrix's favorite. Uh, his number one strat was the one he called Black Beauty, uh, but he used the white one 
at the Woodstock concert, which became probably his most iconic performance. So, yeah. Uh, Hendrix continued to play the guitar for the remainder of his life. Uh, however, pauses have since surfaced of Jimmy playing an old white Stratocaster with what appears to be a notch in the body. And as we kind of alluded to, there's all these controversies with uh, some <laughs> Stratocasters he allegedly played or might not have played. And yeah, not sure if we want to dive into that stuff, but uh, after Hendrix passing in 1970, the guitar fell in the possession of Mitch Mitchell, a drummer of the Jimi Hendrix experience who held on to it until 1990 when he sold it to an Italian TV host, Gabriel Anceloni, as only later auctioned it off to a Microsoft co-founder, Paul Allen. It raked in $2 million. Yep. Could buy a lot of squires with that money. You could. Would you build a house out of positive grid mini amps with that kind of money? I think you could. You also could. Wouldn't keep out the finish winter. <laughs> That's how we're going to start measuring things, like how many positive <laughs> grips, mini sparks you can get with that money. Two million, so that's like 5,000 of the units. You can build a nice little <laughs> house with those. Uh, yeah. Speaking of Frankenstrats that I mentioned earlier, Eddie, Van Halen's Frankenstrat is obviously one of the most legendary ones. Uh, you could argue that it's barely a strat with all the modifications he did to it, but it is still a... <laughs> <laughs> they actually say in the article, although EBH Frankenstein wasn't technically a Fender product, it was made with Fender replica parts by a company called <laughs> Boogie Buddies. <laughs> Great name for a company, by the way. Yeah. Uh, the parts were purchased cheaply from a Wayne Charvel's shop because the body had not on it. EBH dropped a Gibson PF from a ES-335 into the bridge position. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I want to say this might be the most iconic set out of all of them just because it really stands out. Like if you, uh, this might be the only guitar, like if you remove the player from the picture, people will still know what, what guitar this is compared to the other yes. ones. And again, it has a wider influence than just guitar players. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. Uh, I did realize that it was like just like an ES-335 pickup. That's not that high output. I didn't know that but, either. That's quite interesting to hear. Yeah. And I mean, he used it... Uh, uh, I'm trying to... Like, if there's any info on whether he... modified it with pickup, different pickup later. Not really. Not really. It's interesting. Again, it's a very fairly low output pickup, most likely. So maybe that's part of the EVH sound as well. Interesting. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, obviously he had. Did he? Didn't he have like several? Did he have like replicas made out of this at least? And. Uh, no, I believe so, but but I'm not an expert. Yeah. Yeah, he seemed to be ha have modified the guitar a few times with different versions of Floyd Rose, uh, which at the time was still in development stages. Uh, 
Yeah, the Frankenstein remains one of the most esteemed instruments of all time. And I think this is probably the last one. Adrian Marie's, or oh, sorry, Dave Marie's main maiden. Yeah. Sure. Uh, he became a strat user from the start, or like since the band started, he became a strat user in 1976. He bought a Stratocaster, which had previously belonged to Paul Kossoff of Free. With a 63 body and a 57 neck, Murray swapped out the sing stock single coils for Dimasio Super Distortion in the bridge and Dimasio PAF in the neck. The pickup combination allowed him to play and record rhythm parts, solos, and the occasional clean interlude on every Iron Maiden record until about 1990. When he resigned the guitar in favor of signature model, which was, of course, based on his main axe. Yep, another legendary uh, Strat player. But, again, one of those guitars, like, if we would see it on in an online store or even in a store, not sure if I would recognize that as the kind of Iron Maiden or Dave Murray signature. But yeah, that that's another thing about this guitar. This one I would place on maybe a level below the other five, you yeah, know, with the greatest true. of respect to to Murray and to Iron Maiden. They've sold 200 million records, haven't they? So they've done pretty well. <laughs> oh, wow. This guitar has been heard by a lot of people. But yeah, in terms of the iconic status of the instrument, I would say this one is kind of a little bit lower on the lists. The funny yeah. thing is that this guitar always appears in searches that I do for strats because I'm always looking around mm. for new things and I often look for strats that have a humbucker option in the single coil sizing and this is pretty much the only one that you see quite a lot of the time yeah it's fairly well priced and it has very good specs and the newest ones have compound radius necks which is something i didn't know until i saw this article yeah i mean that's the i, I love these kind of stories because like a lot of these people found an instrument that immediately resonated with them and they kind of stuck with it through the years like all of the people that are mentioned in this article are kind of known for uh, just that guitar. Like, I'm, I yeah, guess pretty much. with Clapton, apart may, from Clapton, may, yeah, yeah, but Clapton might be the only one. But otherwise, it's like they played strats and they always stuck with the strats. Yeah, exactly. And those are people who are deserving of signature instruments. Oh yes, one hundred percent. Yeah. So like. Just tells you how right Leo Fender got it when he was yeah first with time, Strat. first time with the Strat. Is there anyone missing from the list in your opinion? Uh, not that I can think of because uh, well, <laughs> John Mayer isn't going to be on the list for obvious <laughs> no, reasons. He's not allowed. No, a he's maybe too young for that. Um, I'm trying to think, but like. I don't know. No. Yeah, talking of more modern players, I guess John Frusciante from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Oh yeah, absolutely. Is he is he legendary enough? I don't know. I'm not sure. Mm. It's different, isn't it, when they're not kind it's of in different. these bands that have been around since before we were born, you know? Yeah. And it also doesn't help the fact that he's one of the Red Hot Chili Peppers guitar players. Not the. I guess... A lot of people, but everyone regards him the. as being the, don't they? Yeah, and maybe some yeah, people. Well, don't. I mean, the biggest biggest albums have been with him. 
definitely. Yeah. But still, uh, maybe. So, yeah, I, but I, I again, he would be on the level below these guys. Yeah. Yeah. He's tier two or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Give it 10 more years and, and he can move up. Yeah, it's him and John May can be tier two, though. Now that John is with PRS, he's more known for that. So Yeah, exactly. The the other one that I would think of, which is not on this list, would be Hank Marvin and his mm. red strat. Okay, yeah. But it, maybe he's too old. <laughs> I don't know. But that was like <laughs> literally the first strat to ever come into the UK, his red strat. Mm. So it's hugely iconic and influential to so many bands that came after. Yeah. Yeah, but also and I think he always played that all... strat. Mm, that's true. But also, like I think with all of these artists, they were so so hugely influential and kind of uh, surpassed. It, like they're not known by just guitar players, but just like people who know anything about music. They like if you mentioned Jimi Hendrix or Iron Maiden or pretty much any of these bands, to almost anyone, like they most likely heard songs from these people. Unfortunately, that doesn't yeah. apply to Hank Marvin. I, I would argue that it does. I would argue that Hank Marvin yeah. and the Shadows were okay. Well, yeah, bigger as Actually, artists than one or two of the artists on this list. But when it comes to contemporary people, maybe he's been slightly more forgotten than some of these players. Could be. Whereas the legend of someone like Hendrix, who died younger in strange circumstances, it kind of lives on and the hype builds itself up, you know? Yeah, could be. Could be as well. Yeah, but from iconic guitars to some sad news, Mark Lennigan uh, has passed away. This was just a few days ago, yesterday, a couple of days ago. Mm -hmm. And yeah, at the age of 57. And he was known, I guess, best from uh, Screaming Trees band. He was yep. also part of Queens of the Stone Age. And some other bands that I'm just forgetting as I speak. But yeah, I think I remember him mostly from Queens of the Stone Age. I'm not as familiar with other stuff he was doing, but 57 is yeah, it's the same. it's the same for me. I, I got to know him through Queens of the Stone Age, through the Rated R album. One of my favorite tracks on that album is Leg of Lamb. And he's not the main vocalist on that song. He just comes in occasionally with that deep sort of gravelly voice and it's just so mm. it gets you you know if this was a list like the iconic strat list that we've just done of iconic gravelly grungy rock voices he'd be on that list instantly recognizable <laughs> yeah, yeah. I great singer and musician now but yeah, I think great. he he influenced a lot of musicians. A musician's musician in that sense. Yeah, you know, I mean, he he guested on so many other records. I looked at his Wikipedia yesterday, and um, mm. the other artists that he's collabed with and so on in in his career, it's it's massive. He, he did so mm. much, and yeah, fifty seven, fifty seven is no age. I think he had a difficult life mm. uh, with addiction and stuff earlier on. Courtney Love yeah, paid so for him to to go through uh, to go to a clinic at some point to put himself on the right track, and he worked in other jobs to pay his way. Was living in Ireland when he when he died, mm. and he actually had COVID extremely seriously and 
could have died back oh. in 2020 from that. So difficult times. And yeah, he, he will live on forever through the music that he created. So yeah. the people who are left can, can take some peace in that, I suppose. Yeah. Sad news, unfortunately, but... Yeah, indeed. It's, it seems to be all too frequently on this show that we have to mm. have sad news because we've lost quite a few incredible musicians recently. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's the thing. Yeah. But from these news to, well, answering your questions and comments. Questions and comments. Question number one, or comment number one, comes from uh, Michael, is that Michael C? Can I open up the question in a bigger format so I can actually see it? Michael C, comments on the Gretsch lineup video we made a couple of weeks ago, and he says, Shell Pink is a 50s car color. Is that true? Is that where Shell Pink originates from? I think a lot of the older guitar finishes are based on oh, Californian true. car colors or American car colors. So yeah, it probably is. Yeah. I would love to own a shell pink car. Maybe one day Ooh. I'll get that shell pink Ferrari. We just literally discussed it. I was, just, I was just about, like, as soon as you mentioned, I was thinking of the Ferrari. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah, shell pink car, why not? And the next one comes from... Good friend of the show, Quicksilver. I wonder if Premier Guitar got <laughs> instant got fired over this. He's mentioning, talking about the Premier Guitar Instagram hack. By the way, have you checked? Do they have their channel Instagram account back? Because I I forgot I looked to check. At it. I looked at it yesterday, and I don't think it's been finalized, but I think they're working with Instagram to get it back. So I think it is going to happen. Oh. Um, the name Mohammed which was there before, is still there. So I, I don't think it's quite been sorted, but they're on the way to getting it back. Okay. It was actually, they, um, they did address it. Sean Hammond did an article um, where he did address it briefly that they'd had it hacked and that they were working together with Instagram to get it back. Okay. Yeah. Hopefully they get it back. And as Quicksilver continues, it's yeah. 2022, folks. How does this keep happening, particularly on corporate accounts? Two-factor authentication or SMS authentication should be made mandatory for these kind of public accounts. Uh, and then the, he also mentions, or well, the uh, scientists might be having a meltdown over the Fender George Harrison Telecaster, which was all <laughs> was all rosewood, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, quick That's a word good about point. the yeah. Quick word about the cybersecurity first. It is kind of surprising that this still keeps happening. But then again, like even just examining my own behavior, I'm kind of lazy with the passwords. I'm getting better at it because I'm scared that somebody, someone would hack some of the stuff I'm doing. And Yeah, I mean, yeah. hackers can get into NASA. They can infiltrate governments and presidential figures. So it's like if someone really wants to get in, they, they probably will. But on the yeah. other hand, everyone should have, you know, two-factor authentication or SMS authentication, like Quicksilver says. I mean, that at least makes it a bit harder. And some people might give up if they reach that stage. But yeah. Yeah, that's kind of, yeah, I think that's the overall, like, general idea with the whole two-factor authentication and stuff like that. Because 
Yeah. It's not that it makes your account unhackable. It just means that it takes way more effort to make it happen and it's probably not worth it at that point. Yeah, exactly. So, and any kind of amateur hacker or hobby hacker or whatever you want to call it. Can you be a hobby hacker? I don't know. But you might give up at that stage so. when you realize you'd need somehow to gain access to someone's phone to get that message authentication to get the code or whatever. Yeah. Yep, exactly. But yeah, and just a little note on the CITES thing. I believe that CITES has been uh, relaxed a little bit. So they might be double-checking this one, but I think it's probably going to be okay. Yeah. And again, it also could be like with the George Harrison telly that um, maybe just Fender had like a stock of Rosewood somewhere already. And they just decided to release as George Harrison telly. I hope that's the case, at least. We shall see. And comment number three comes from another frequent commenter who gives us amazing insight. A lot of the episodes, Paul and at Ewing. And we talk about the Lansix Catalyst and how it compares to the Boss Katana. And he mentions that Henning has compared the two amps. And for those who don't know, Henning is HP42 here on YouTube side of things. And he says, uh, Henning, not Henning, but Paul says that the Catalyst Line 6, in spite of having a great library of effects, did not use them. Uh, so Boss will not be worried. It is not better or even worse, just different. And then he also mentions about the Space Echo. Is, it's all about software and a couple of quality chips. It will be more than usable, but more than who? But more than that, who knows? I cannot see there was a craft version happening as it does not need uh, hand making. It is not analog. So yeah, makes a lot of sense. Uh, yeah, I'm surprised apparently like with the Line 6 Catalyst, it's very simplified to the point where then they're not kind of using the kind of helix effects apparently. Which okay. sounds strange to me, but that seems to be the case. Okay, I need to research that a bit more and I need to watch that comparison video by Henning as well. Yeah. Because I've not seen any others yet. And I don't believe the Catalyst amps are going to make it into guitar shops around here for quite a while, so... Yeah, that's true. Yeah. But as Paul says, Boss will not be worried. I mean, I don't think Boss needs to worry about anything, really. Nope. I think they're fine. The... Yeah, and... Interesting point about... Up... Yep, yeah, I, you're going to say probably exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. do it. Yeah, I think he's making good points about the the RE2 as well. And the the Wazacraft thing happening is it does not need hand-making, it's not analog. That's something I hadn't actually thought about. Is there a list of Wazacraft pedals somewhere? I think it's mostly overdrives. And Paul's probably bang on again as usual. Mm. I mean, the DZ2W that I had... Uh, Oh, wait, the chorus pedals. Digital. There's a Waza chorus pedal. That's digital, isn't it? I think so. I th no, I think you can do analog chorus, actually. It's just delaying the... Like, it's creating a copy of the signal and then delaying it to create the chorus effect. Yeah. Colin has a great video on that topic on his channel, explaining what, what the chorus does or how it's yeah. created. Yeah, makes total sense then. And last question... Click the wrong button. That that one was not the question. 
And last question comes from London Cunningham. And this was posted on my RevG3 versus Blue Guitar Iridium studio comparison video. And he asks, between the mm. clean of the RevG20 and the Blue Guitar Iridium, which do you prefer? Mm. And having tried both, uh, and I actually replied to him as well, and can announce this publicly here. I prefer the D20 clean. Uh, just because it's more dynamic, more... Uh, I, c I can't say amp-like because both of them are amps. But it's it's just more dynamic and anything I threw at that amp, any distortion, any fuzz, any boost, anything like that, worked perfectly. And it is truly a pedal platform amp if such thing exists. That's the amp. So, yeah, I I think also part of my preference is the fact that it's incredibly simple, whereas Blue Guitar Iridium has so many options. And I know you're biased to comment anything on this because you work for Blue Guitar as of shooting this episode, at least. Well, again, I'm predicting some sort of doom over us. Yeah, what was that all about? Last. I don't know. I don't know. I just you like, still work for saying, Blue Guitar while we're shooting this. But you might not next week. <laughs> Depending on your answer to this question. It's uh, possible. No, I'm, I'm, I can't I'm answer this question, can I? It would be unfair because I work for Blue Guitar. But I love the clean on the D20 as well. Mm. I mean, I think they bo they're both great cleans. I would say you can get maybe a more vintage-y clean out of the Iridium. You know, Could if you be. make good use of the EQ and also the custom control on the side of the amp, it goes a bit more vintage and you have more clean tone options because as you said, it, sure. it does a lot more. There's a lot more controls, but at the same time, a lot more tweaking. They're both great yeah. pedal platforms, I find. So I've been looking for a new amp to use in videos recently and the D20 is high on my list. I mean, mm. I don't want to use a blue guitar amp because I don't want my day job to filter into the videos and have it kind of connected or mixed up in that way because I don't think that would be fair on anybody. But yeah, yeah I, totally I might get, get a that. D20. Yeah. Yeah. It is actually something that um, I wish I had more time to test. And that was, uh, I had the bo I had both the Mercury and Ibridium editions of Blue Guitar amps at my studio at some point. And I didn't really have time to try those out with like a bunch of pedals and stuff like that, using maybe it as a center of your pedal board. So, I mean, again, D20 is a one-trick pony, but it's a really good pony for that one particular trick, uh, whereas either of the Blue Guitar amps is kind of a centerpiece of your rig and you can get most sounds out of it. Like all the drive, different drive sounds and stuff like that, you can get just from that amp itself. So different yeah. things for, like different units for different applications, I would Definitely. say. Both really, really good and highly recommended. And I'm saying this not being paid by either of these companies. But though I'll pay it you does sound like show. an ad, and if you think I'm biased, <laughs> let us know in the comments. <laughs> and we can discuss that next week. But before we start wrapping up this week's episode, something that we absolutely need to do is to talk about guitar maintenance in everyone's favorite segment called 
Wait and watch. Watch it. Watch it. Watch it. Watch it. Watch it. Watch it. Video. It's not like you have anything else to yeah, do. Because you don't have anything else to do. We got to talk about not me clicking at the wrong buttons again. There you go. We're going to talk about guitar maintenance. Uh, and we're going to use a slightly clickbaity titled video by Red Shell called I'm an Idiot. I broke my $5,000 guitar. And this video is clearly sponsored uh, by whatever the guitar store he's going to. But I think there's some great points about the guitar, like maintaining your guitar, especially now that we're transitioning from winter season to spring and then summer here in Finland. For example, pretty much all of my guitars will need some sort of setup and checking and some need to have the frets filed, fret ends filed and stuff like that because we go through a crazy temperature changes. It can be from like plus 35 Celsius to minus 25 Celsius, which we had have had this winter several times actually. So most of my guitars will need some setup and yeah, Red is taking his guitar to, or his guitars, actually multiple guitars to, I'm guessing a local store where the guy explains all the basic things you can do at home and then some more complicated ones. And before you ask the guitar, he broke, and I'm putting that in quotes actually, uh, he broke it by not uh, having, he didn't have his acoustic guitar, I think probably humidified, and it caused some of the bracing to kind of break loose inside of the guitar. I think that was the issue. Mm -hmm. So sorry yep. if I spoiled for you, this video for you, but uh, if you want to learn a bit more about like basic guitar setup and things you can do at home to maintain your guitar, playing it really well, I think you should check this video. Links in the show notes as always. Uh, that brings me to a question. How often do you maintain your guitars, Rich? And what are the things that you're doing home and what are the things you leave to Eludia to do? I don't maintain my guitars often enough. I know I should do more, but unfortunately I'm lazy when it comes to that kind of stuff. I'm also, I'm similar when it comes to even changing strings. I'm one of those guys who changes a string when it breaks, as opposed to every few weeks or months or whatever it is. And yeah, pretty much the extent to which I personally maintain my instruments, to my shame, is keeping them clean and tidy. As you've seen in this episode already, that bass was covered with dust because I haven't taken it off its rack for clearly a few months yeah. now because I haven't done any bass for quite a while. But I do keep my instruments as clean as I can. When I do string changes or whatever, I will lemon oil the fretboards and check that everything's fine. And pretty much any more than that, I take to my local tech because he's excellent, he's well-priced, and you know him, Vlad. It's Uva, my former colleague Aww. from Hughes & Kettner. He there has a, a tech company. It's his second profession. He's excellent. He gets customers from all over the region. I would recommend him to anybody watching this who's in the vicinity. I'm not being paid to say mm. that or anything, but yeah, he does a great job and he's done work on all of my guitars over the past how many years? Almost eight years since I've lived here. Gosh, it's a long time. Mm. Yeah, what about you? I think you do a lot more with your guitars in that sense than I do. Well, at least a little bit more. Um, I'm okay with adjusting the neck uh, with some of the guitars. You sometimes need to angle the neck, like uh, maybe re even like re-angle the neck a little bit and stuff like that. So basically loosen the screws in the back of the neck joint and then like slightly push it 
somewhere. Sometimes that's needed. I'm okay with doing that. Just because I've built a bolt on neck guitar and you kind of get used to it and like you realize that it doesn't break even if you don't get it right the first time. It's fairly easy to adjust. I usually tweak things like intonation on my guitar. Uh, I can adjust the neck just fine. Uh, same goes for any electronics stuff. I'm okay with working on that. Um, I've been thinking about, um, you know, like sanding the fret ends, but I don't think I have this kind of means to do it here because you would get like this small metallic dust that it's difficult to collect with a vacuum cleaner. You need like industrial level vacuum cleaner to really get it out. Yeah. So I haven't been comfortable doing that. Even though I have filed several like full guitars and done the fret ends, um, I'm still not like super comfortable doing that here at least. So there's that. Um, same goes for the knot. It's one of the most critical and to me personally, one of the most difficult ones to fine-tune as well. I have polished some frets at home because it's like, I have these, they look like, you know, like those, what are they called in English? Like, ah, eraser, like erasers you use to erase like pencil writing and stuff like that. And they are actually like tiny sandpapery things. So you can just tape off the fretboard and then just run those and they polish the frets really, really nicely. You can get them, I think the highest one I have is up to like 1,000 grit. So you can get them pretty nice and shiny. So if they feel a bit rough, you can do that at home just fine. But mm. yeah, so I, I do some basic maintenance. But when it comes to like sanding the frets or filing the frets, I think I'd rather leave it to a professional. And yeah, actually, that's like, the way I see it. I have several instruments that would require that. My bass, uh, I actually kind of want to have maybe even frets replaced on the 335 type. Tilly seems to be doing just fine, but it's gone through so many winters by this time that it's very stable. Like it, I can pick it up from the wall after a couple of weeks and like slight tuning adjustments and it's good to go. But it's just because I've played it so much and Set, up, set it up so much so that it's great to know. Yeah. Just uh, on a slightly yeah. disconnected point, I would like to visit the store that Rhett is at in this video. Oh, yes. He's been there plenty of times uh, throughout his channel. I think he's bought guitars there before as well, but um, they look like they have a really nice selection of instruments, both acoustic and electric. Yeah, and ba based on how great this guy is, customer service is top-notch as well. So, well done advertising the store. Red. Yeah. That's off. It's almost like they planned that in advance. <laughs> almost like. <laughs> but yeah, actually, let us know how you, like, what are the guitar maintenance things you are comfortable doing yourself? And what are the things you, you will use a luthier for? And if this is a topic you would like us to dive into more, we've got a couple of friends who could actually help us. And maybe we'll do a special episode on this kind of stuff. So yeah, let us know in the comments down below on YouTube or actually it might be on the right side of you as well. So just in the comments. I don't know where I'm going with this. And that also wraps up Catwick Friday's episode number 52. And this was fun as always. And yeah, ways to support what we do in the show notes 
All the things are in the show notes. You'll find them there. Have a great weekend. And we will see you next week. <laughs> about to say again, like, we probably will see you next week. We will see you next week. <laughs> if stuff changes, we will let you know. But most likely, we will see you next weekend. And uh, yeah, thank you for watching, listening, like, share, subscribe, all the things. You know how this works. And as we do here, Capric Fridays, bye podcast. Bye podcast. <laughs> <laughs>